Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The FT. Hello and welcome to Hard Currency, the FT's weekly Forex podcast, taking a hard look at what's driving the world's largest financial market, my name's Neil Dennis, and this week I'm joined by Simon Smith, Chief Economist at FX Pro. Simon, we're going to talk about sterling first. The pound's up about 4% against the dollar since hitting a cyclical low in January, and up about 5% versus the euro over the same period. How much are interest rate expectations supporting sterling? It seems that they aren't that much at the moment. What I look at a lot is the two-year rate spread, so between the US and the UK, and usually correlates quite well with what uh, cable... Actually, that correlation's broken down. It's actually about zero, which is about the lowest for about 15 months. So it seems that even though that driver has been stable, the pound has been moving up. So it seems to be something else. If I look at it, I think it's more the case that beyond the employment data in the US, most of the data this year is coming weaker than expected, whereas for the UK, it's actually coming stronger. So the data momentum has actually been, I think, driving that move higher, but not necessarily being reflected that much in interest rate expectations if you look at two-year bond spreads. Right. Um, That ties in with some data that we've seen this morning. The Statistics Office published the second estimate of fourth quarter GDP, with the UK economy growing 0.5% over the final three months of 2014, to give annual growth of 2.6%. What do you think we learned about the outlook for UK growth? It's interesting, it's looking at the breakdown just before we came in, and you look at net investment, so investment was falling for the first time more than two years. Net trade was a strong positive contribution to that growth story, households, consumption also. But you have to worry about the trade side, looking at what's going on in the Eurozone, slowing. The pound's appreciation has mostly come versus the euro, so that's our biggest trading partner. So going forward, I think there are concerns as whether you can keep the momentum going on net trade. On the investment side, this is what we wanted. We wanted for for many years, even remember Mervyn King going on about this, we need to move from a sort of consumption-led economy and debt-led within that to much more a sort of net trade investment-led economy, which is the desire. We're getting there, but in a sort of bumpy fashion, and I don't think we're there yet. What I always find funny is when we sort of get excited that consumer spending is strong, but where's that coming from? It's, a lot of it's come more recently from payouts, from payment protection insurance. It's not really coming from the sort of what we'd like to see in terms of not being funded by debt. Indeed. So what happens if deflationary pressures do start to build and uh, we see consumers putting off those big ticket items and uh, spending less i don't think we're there yet we were having a debate with someone yesterday all about you know what is deflation and a lot of those things are big ticket items we're still seeing great gains in quality so there's no point in putting off a purchase of that sort because there's still great gains to be had there but that's naturally the fear we have with deflation that actually i can just wait till um, the prices lower and i don't think we're there yet in the uk And what impact do you think the strong pound is expected to have going forward? Again, I think it links back to what I was saying earlier. It depends, you know, against what. I think the bigger concern is if we do see further details next month of what QE in the Eurozone is going to look like, if it's sort of more 
bolder and the impact is going to be more pronounced, which I sort of doubt that markets are expecting. The impact we have to look at on the euro, we see already we're seeing uh, the sterling versus the euro around sort of seven-year highs. And that's we're seeing that underlying divergence. You're seeing a deterioration in our trade balance versus the eurozone in the wider euro area. And you're seeing the improvement beyond that. So I think that's where we have to look. So if you do start seeing the combination of a slowdown in Eurozone with um, appreciation of the pad, it's going to make life more difficult in terms of getting that continued stronger performance in net trade, which we've seen in the Q4 numbers. So as far as the dollar is concerned, we should talk about the Federal Reserve monetary policy. After two days of congressional testimony by Janet Yellen, do you think we're finally getting to the bottom of Fed rate policy? Well, it depends if you mean the bottom as in we're moving higher or the bottom as what exactly is driving it. As you know, the Fed of, um, and Bernanke himself was in the early part was a very strong proponent of forward guidance in terms of the tools that central bank has at the zero lower bound, as they call it. And I think it worked well. I think Yellen has struggled more with it. If I remember sort of 11 months ago when she had one of her first Prentice conferences when she's too specific, saying, you know, uh, in a considerable period, maybe that means about six months and then led to a sell-off in equities, etc., it's very interesting if you tie that with um, the Bank of England. I think a year ago, Mark Carney mentioned forward guidance like 14, 15 times in his opening statement to the inflation report. This month, he mentioned it exactly zero times. And he was a strong proponent of it. So he's moved away from it. And I sort of agree with that. It's harder to use at the latter stages. And markets come too dependent on one single word or one single nuance. So bottom line, even the Fed is saying they're trying to stress that. I think Yellen stressed that we're still data dependent. Even if we remove this special word patience, it doesn't mean that rates are going to go up at the next meeting. It just means that they could. Bottom line for me is that I struggle to see the Fed raising this year. I think with core inflation still below 1%, the preferred measure, inflation expectations on the five-year, five-year break-even still at multi-year lows. They need to be sure when they make that move, that it's going to be lasting. In contrast with the Bank of Japan, which has twice started tightening cycles, it had to be reversed very early. ECB also, when it rates were 1% back in 2011. So I think they'd rather hold off, wait to be they were as sure as they can be. And I think that means the latter end of the year, if not 2016. Right. Indeed, we've seen Treasury markets appear to have a different idea of where the Fed funds rate will end the year. Do you think markets are taking a blinkered view? Are they suggesting the Fed's over-optimistic on growth? I think markets have perhaps become too dependent on thinking central banks are going to tell them what's going to happen, where you know rates are going to be. And I think they have a tendency perhaps to rely too much on this forward guidance. So you know, if you look even beyond that, I think it's more interesting when you look sort of 2016, 2017, where... Um, the market's seeing rates at most one and three quarters in the US, where there's only, oh, I think it was almost one of the rate setting committee that saw rates that low at that time in their latest projections. Nearly all of them see them much more to what we call a normalised level. So bottom line, the Fed's going to be quite wrong or the market is going to be quite wrong. So that does, I think, you know, create some interesting opportunities in FX, absolutely. So we could see the return of volatility. Is that what you're saying? You told me earlier that volatility has ebbed in the past week or so. You think it will pick up again in the coming weeks? Yeah, but it's ebbed from comparatively high levels, at least versus what we've seen. So I look at the CVIX, which is the Deutsche Bank equivalent of the VIX we see in equities. It encompasses a lot of implied volatility. That had a multi-year low middle of last year. We picked up, thanks to the dollar rally, January and February. We've had, I read, you know, up to 20 central bank easings, mostly unexpected. 
you've had the Swiss move, you've had Greece. So I think it's natural the volatility has come off. Ultimately, it's dry as volatility is changes in rates. So with the Fed, I think if we are going to see a sustained rise in volatility, you have to see probably the Fed change rates, because I don't think it's going to come from the ECB and the euro, because I think the impact of QE there is going to be a lot more limited for a lot of structural reasons and the fact they're coming at it so late. So I think it's going to be more difficult than many imagined. I don't see us going into this sort of structural dollar rally that many are still thinking 2015 is going to be. So there'll be volatility. It's going to be much more shorter term opportunities and, and not seeing the sort of dollar move we've seen over the previous seven months, sort of July to January. Which specific trades do you think will offer the best opportunities given a higher rate of volatility? I still think euro sterling is looking interesting short term. I still think you know sterling has a scope to gain, especially through March. But it's calling the topping that one really because naturally the election's coming up. We've naturally seen the spike in implied volatilities over three months of that spans the election. So that's a more difficult trade going forward. I still think, you know, Aussie dollar as well, I still think that's looking overvalued. So we've seen the RBA cut rate once. The Aussie still, on various measures, does look overvalued. So I still see that sort of moving down towards a sort of 75, 72 level. But as is always with FX, it's never going to be a straight line. I think that dollar is going to be a bit jumpy through the year without seeing that move from the Fed. Okay, that's it from us this week. Thanks to my guest, Simon Smith at FX Pro. Hard Currency will be back next week, but until then, you can read the latest FX news and analysis on our website, ft.com forward slash FX. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.